Gifted Life Podcast, where we have conversations about organ, tissue, and eye donation and transplantation. You can always find us, guys, at thegiftedlife.org. I'm Maury Steele. I'm Joey Boudreaux. And I'm Lisa Lorette West. Hey, and again, we welcome Lisa back to the guest host seat. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I'm very happy to be here. All right, coming up here on the Gifted Life Podcast today. She's a donation advocate. She's a heart recipient, and now we can add author to her list. She's telling her story to inspire others who are waiting. And in our mental health section, we're going to talk about spring cleaning your mental health and suggestions on how to check yourself and tips to bloom into spring. I like it. All that and more right here. Stay with us. new friend here on the Gifted Life podcast, and we are excited to introduce her to you and you to her. Haley Steimel, how are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. How old are you? I am 25. 25. And so you're a heart transplant recipient mm-hmm. and an author. Yes. <laughs> I love it. That's so great. We love uh, that you're, you're trying to uh, inspire hope for others who are uh, on the waiting list. So we appreciate you you uh, joining us here on the Gifted Life. Uh, let's talk about uh, your transplant, um, and and you just celebrated your eighth transplant anniversary, which is pretty awesome. Yes, on February fourteenth, Valentine's Day, but also National Donor Day. Yes, mm-hmm. that is beautiful. That's pretty cool. So tell us a little bit about you know what what precipitated and and brought you to needing a transplant. I was born with a congenital heart defect called transposition of the great vessel and the procedure I had which was called the mustard procedure that procedure was the reason why at the age of 16 I needed a transplant they I think they do a different procedure now Mm. but at that time I mean I lived a normal life up until the age of 16 when I got sick and that's when I found out that I would need a transplant someday. And not even a year later is when I needed a transplant. But tell us a little bit about that time, that year. So, so you were feeling normal, you know, everything. Of course, you, you, went, you had a major surgery, heart surgery, but then everything's, everything's kind of clicking along. And then, and then you start feeling, you know, sick and everything. So tell us a little bit about that and then, and then how you felt when you heard the fact that you needed a heart transplant? So I got sick in the fall of 2012. I was 16 and I just got sick and I wasn't getting better. And after I believe the third or fourth time at the doctors, they wanted to do x-rays and they could see fluid around my heart. And they sent me to our local children's hospital, the University of Iowa. Now it's called the Stead Family Children's Hospital. But when I got there, they did all kinds of tests and they put me on some medications. And I spent the weekend at the hospital. That was the first time I ever spent at the hospital besides when I was a baby and had the procedure. And 
before I could leave the hospital, they did an echo and a doctor came in and was telling me about kids with my heart defect with the procedure that I had were now needing heart transplants in their teens, 20s, 30s, and even 40s. And they couldn't really tell me when, but they just wanted to let me know. And I never knew that. So that was a huge shocker to me. Very emotional time and just very confused, I guess, because, you know, that's big news. And I didn't really know much about organ donation besides my dad's sister who passed away at 17 in a car accident. And that was in the 70s, I believe. And so you didn't really hear much about donation then. But that's all I knew was, was my aunt was a donor when she was 17. Otherwise, I didn't really know much about organ donation. Wow, such a caring family for so long ago to them to think of that and to, to do that when you're not talking about organ donation as much as we're talking about it now. So uh, I'm just thinking, you know, all these big terms and uh, complicated uh, surgical things that are that are going on. So walk us through what's going through your your heart. And then do you understand at that young age what has to happen in order for you to to live, to get that that transplant? And how did it all make sense to you? So I was very upset. I remember sitting on the hospital bed and I was just crying. And then my mom was crying and there was actually a new nurse in the room too. And she actually started crying. And I just remember in my mind thinking, oh no, if I need a transplant, I'll be at the bottom of the list. Because then I didn't know the facts about donation. You know, you hear all about the myths Mm -hmm. of organ donation. So that's kind of what was going through my mind or all the myths. And that's when I knew I needed research more about organ donation and so yes i was very sad and upset and i didn't want to think about it also because i was in denial since i was only 16 at the time yeah and i remember when we got back to the room when we were packing up my stuff to go home my dad came to get us and my sister and the doctor was explaining why we were upset and stuff because i didn't really want to talk about it and I didn't want to believe that was happening. And um, Haley, from the information we received, or I think maybe I noted it in your book, you are a twin, correct? Yes. So that's why um, my Facebook page is actually called Hope for Haley's Heart, oh. because her name's Hope. Mm. Mm. Oh, That's so. special. Tell us about when it set in. You said you're in denial at this point. You're angry. Mm-hmm. You know, you're 16 years old. It's hard to wrap your head around. You know, I'm trying to figure out, you know, what, you know, 16's if, what a hard am, age to what start am I doing? With, yeah. What am I doing this weekend? Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and what are my right. friends doing? Yeah. And, and then here you are thrust on you is, is that it's this potentially life-saving treatment that may never come. Or uh, did any of that resonate with you? And then, and then what has to happen you know, for that to, to, to take place. I kind of got depressed and had a lot more anxiety. We had an appointment about once a month with my local cardiologist. 
just to see how I was doing. And through the winter, with the medicine I was on, I was doing fine. So, you know, I kind of put it in the back of my mind, like, oh, it's going to be okay. But by that summer of 2013, the signs that I was in heart failure, I mean, you could tell right away by looking at me. And I knew it was coming because I had so much edema. I was still kind of in denial. But in a way, I knew that it would be soon just because once the summer heat came, it went downhill. So I believe in the summer is when I started thinking about it more. Since in the winter, I was doing so good. And that summer actually, I mean, it was a great summer despite the fact I was in heart failure because we went to a Taylor Swift concert. And we actually went on a make-a-wish trip to Hawaii. And even though I was in heart failure, I didn't let it stop me. And I think I was just so used to all the edema and everything that I didn't notice it so much. But once we came back from Hawaii, I believe it was a week later, we were set up to talk to the transplant team at the University of Iowa because at that point, I was on so much medicine to try to keep the edema down Mm -hmm. that at that point, if I needed to keep it more down, I would have to go to the hospital to get it. So we went to talk to the transplant team August 19th, 2013. And that day they admitted me to the hospital and we did pack a bag just in case. My mom was like, you need to probably pack a few things. We didn't want to believe, you know, I would be admitted that day, but I was. And I believe that's definitely when it hit me the hardest was when they were like, you have to be admitted today. And we talked to them for a few minutes. And I mean, they could tell by looking at my hands and legs that I definitely needed to get on the list soon. And just for those out there who may not be familiar with what edema is, edema is swelling. It's when the fluid stays in your tissue and you swell. It can With, be uncomfortable. Yeah. And when, when you yeah. know, what happens in that, the heart, the heart, because it's a little weaker, you know, all, all of your plumbing, so to speak, all of your, your, your blood and your, and your vessels kind of just backs up too. So, you know, you see that and that's usually one of the last, last things that, that you'll see before someone to recognize that someone's possibly going in, into heart failure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at this point, you're, you know, you're, you're very sick or, or much sicker. Um, but talk, talk us through that next, that, I guess that next uh, stage and, and you getting that transplant. So once I was admitted that day, that's when my mom and I, we definitely started reaching out to the Iowa Donor Network and getting more information about organ donation to learn more of the facts and also, we learned to get on the list. A lot of different tests have to be done. And one of them is a cap. And that's, I mean, I was somewhat in denial still because I was so sick that I just got used to it. So my body just became kind of used to it where it seemed normal. Mm. But I remember getting scared again because of that cap. 
the doctor who was doing it basically told me he had the heart and lung machine ready in the other room because I was so sick. And of course, to get on the transplant list, you have to have a cath done. So it's not something that we could avoid. When I was waiting for the hospital, having to do all the tests and stuff, I think that's what even scared me more is you have to pass all these tests to even get on the heart transplant list. Yeah. And also for the transplant list, you guys know, as many others figure out that the list isn't a huge, like, list there's different sections and it depends how sick you were and so I was on 1a the highest up on the list you could be because I was put on the highest medication I could be at the time but also I was supposed to go home with the pick line in medicine but I felt something was off and good thing they listened to me at the hospital because I actually coded mm. oh, wow. a day before we were supposed to go home. And that's when it was decided that I needed to have a heart pump in our VAD place. And I believe they told me I was the first pediatric, at least in the U.S., with my heart defect to have that pump placed on the right side of my heart. And I was also the first to be a pediatric to go home from the university with that RVAD. And that surgery took place a few days before my birthday in September. And at that point, after I coded, I just couldn't sleep. I just wanted to get the heart pump right away because I was scared if I went to sleep that I wouldn't wake up. You mentioned status 1A just for our listeners out there. Essentially, that, you know, that that's the highest, that's the worst the sickest, most critical patients uh, are reserved that status one uh, listing. So you were very, very critical at the time. I'm surprised, you know, your heart, obviously the heart pump that them, them putting that RVAD in, you know, essentially extended and saved your life at that moment. Yeah. And I believe the guy from Germany who must have like invented the heart pump actually flew to Iowa to help out with the surgery. And that's why it was held off for a few days. Yeah. And also they had the Berlin heart ready just in case the RVAD wouldn't fit in my chest. Mm. Because I was, I'm like a small adult, I guess they called me. I'm yeah. only like 5'1". And so they were worried that it actually wouldn't fit mm. and that they would have to go with the Berlin heart. Well, you're definitely a fighter. I've seen some of the pictures um, of you, and you, you always had a smile on your face, so I don't know if that was for the pictures or not. But on February 14th, National Donor Day 2014, you received a second chance. You received the gift of life. And so life after has been much different for you. Yeah, it's definitely been a lot different. Just even now, still volunteering for different things and public speaking, spreading awareness about heart disease and organ donation. Also, I wanted to talk about going home. So I actually got to go home November 4th, about two months after I was admitted, which is pretty crazy because now kids are going home like two weeks after getting an RVAD or LVAD, it seems like. So are you uh, at the same hospital that the the entire crowd there at the Iowa football stadium 
turns and, and waves? Is that the same one? Sadly, no. Yeah. That was actually, it was a big hole around dirt. It was just being built up when I was admitted. But I actually was on a committee for the children's side of the hospital when they were building it to see what improvements they could make to make hospitals better for kids waiting. So that was pretty cool to be on a committee to help make the hospital a better place for kids. You're doing all kinds of cool stuff because I'm looking at a... I'm getting goosebumps. Yeah, a book here. It's called A Heart (laughs) on Valentine's Day. um, And it kind of stems from your time in the hospital waiting and you wanted to provide hope um, to others. So now you can add author to your list, which is pretty neat. So tell us about A Heart on Valentine's Day. What's the gist of it? Since I was waiting in the hospital, I always wanted to write a book. I just didn't really know what the process was. And plus, I felt like at the time when I was waiting, there weren't a lot of books about organ donation or teens waiting. And I had younger cousins at the time who it was very hard to explain what was going on for terms that they would understand but not scare them. And in the back of my mind, I guess I always just wanted to write a children's book. And I met Brenda at one of the transplant games. And we started talking, and I told her my ideas about a book and everything. And so my dream came true this year, my first release. But I'm actually a co-author, too, in the book because of organ donation. Yes, we see that. So she mentioned Brenda. That's Brenda Cortez. You remember her? She was here on The Gifted Life, How the Owl Owl Fame. So episode 115, if you want to learn about Brenda and how she got her start and her why. Um, We see that she helped you publish this book. Uh, We've also talked to Brenda about uh, because of organ donation as well. So that's amazing. Uh, One of my favorite things about your book, um, which we have here in in the Gifted Life podcast studio, is when we open it, we see this precious little boy, braces, blonde hair, blue eyes, and you start by honoring your hero. Tell us about him. Because of my story and getting a heart on Valentine's Day, And it was just a big local story around Iowa and the Midwest, I guess. We actually figured out who it was. My family didn't tell me till actually I got home from the hospital after my transplant because they didn't want me to see the messages through my Facebook page and get upset. And so I had to prepare myself anyways because I figured that someone was going to reach out during that time to tell us more about who they thought was my donor. We started talking to my donor family, I believe about three years later, we started writing back and forth and then emailing. And we actually met up in Decora, Iowa, which was really neat because it has a really pretty waterfall. And we met up with them and it is so weird because we're there to meet because their son gave me the gift of life. But we end up talking for hours and hours Mm. about even more things than just organ donation, almost like we knew each other our whole lives in a way. Mm. So that was just so cool too. And to hear stories about Briar and everything he loved to do. It was just very special to learn where my new heart came from. Mm -hmm. And the, 
different little things too that were connections was that he actually has twin siblings mm. and I'm a twin. twin yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then his his favorite number was two and that's my favorite number. <laughs> so just little connections like that were really cool to hear. Oh, and looking at the book, which you can get, it's called A Heart on Valentine's Day at Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com. And then there's even a Facebook page, Hope for Haley's Heart, uh, that you can follow her story as she continues um, to tell that story. Um, but I love the, the story. I love the artwork, if you can fill us in on, on some of that. And I love the real-life photos that you've included as part of your story as well. So tell us a little bit about the story, the artwork, and uh, why those specific pictures were chosen. So this story is basically me being born with a heart defect and finding out at the age of 16 that I would need a transplant someday. And actually in the book, it shows me going through the process of needing a heart transplant and me getting a heart pump and going home and waiting and then getting the call. And the artwork was really cool because it, in a way, does look like us, kind of, my family. And it actually features my actual dogs in the book. I have a lab <laughs> and a beagle and a Brussels griffon, which was important to include for me. But you can see on some pages, I'm reading the book, Cow Gets a Heart. So that was pretty cool that they included some of Brenda's books within my book. And also the pictures at the end, I wanted to show that this really did happen. And here's the proof. There's some photos. Well, you did a beautiful job. I know you are proud and you should be um, proud and and pretty neat that you decided to team up with Miss Brenda, our friend of Howl the Owl. So that must be a pretty good partnership. Also love how she keeps saying her first book, which indicates to me (laughs) there may be more coming, right? Yes, I hope so. More about organ donation and heart awareness and maybe other topics besides donation. Have you gotten any feedback from anybody who's, from any children who maybe have read the book? Uh, My cousin just told me yesterday that his friend wants the book and he loves it because his teacher read it to them since I had her as a teacher in third grade. She read it to the class. That's cool. And everyone that has gotten the book has loved it. Mainly the people who have gotten the book through me are people I know personally. And so they experienced all this once I got sick to getting a new heart and what I'm doing today. So they were just really happy to see the book come to life and to know, you know, the person who went through this all. I love how your story continues to evolve. What a tribute to Briar. Uh, You sound absolutely wonderful. And from your pictures, you're absolutely precious. So we wish you nothing but the the best. Um, And then if uh, you haven't read A Heart on Valentine's Day by Ms. Haley, we suggest you check it out. Again, Barnes & Noble, Walmart.com, or on Facebook, Hope for Haley's Heart. Ms. Haley, you're going to do great things. Thank you. We appreciate you. Thanks for sharing, Haley.
Here on The Gifted Life, we take a moment for mental health. Spring cleaning. My favorite word. <laughs> Not, yeah. Not really. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, me. yes. So, you know, we talk about spring cleaning, and I don't know if everybody does, but a lot of people spring clean their house, which mm-hmm. is great. I love to spring clean. I grew up spring cleaning. Of course, didn't have any choice because mom made us do it. <laughs> but I think it's important that as we change seasons and we go from the winter to the spring, it's a good time to kind of just do a little mental health check. And here's just a checklist of a few ideas to help. Check on how you're sleeping. Are you sleeping too much? No. Mm-mm. Are you sleeping not enough? Right. Have the shorter days put you in a, in a sleeping longer period? Do we need to work on more hours or less hours? So just check your sleep habits and make sure you're getting a good eight to nine hours of sleep a night. How's your appetite and weight? You know, the winter months create opportunities for us to eat more. We tend to be less active because it's cold outside. Got a little fluff, um, Lisa. Yeah. yeah me it, too. Creates, it creates an environment um, for us to munch. And we have all these hol- holiday gatherings. And so. Mardi Gras. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's cakes. One that other people don't have right after the. Yeah. the uh, There's always winter, something, though. It's yeah. always yeah. something. <laughs> Seems like there is. Um, check your energy levels. Have you not been getting out enough? Have you gotten a little lazy because it's too cold? Are we binging TV? Do we stay cuddled up on the on the sofa with a blanket? Check your energy levels. Just, you know, see what you need to do to increase that. So let's get moving. Let's get some good old vitamin D sunshine. Make the house spring cleaning time to do some mental health spring cleaning. Based on your little self-assessment, spring into some changes. Let's work on getting better sleep better eating habits. Let's get outside and walk and get some exercise and get moving. Even when cleaning your house, open the windows, get some fresh air, smell the greenery of the flowers and everything going from brown back to green. So spring clean your mental health for a great spring and summer. Sounds great, but I do like to lay on the couch. (laughs) Yeah, it's my favorite time. Especially Mm -hmm. just after Mardi Gras here, but we're going to jump up after that and get moving. I like that. I like that. I got to practice. If you have a topic you want us to cover, just email us info at thegiftedlife.org. In our question and answer segment today, how long can a person live with a transplanted heart? If they're a kid, does it grow with them? Joe? So the answer to the first question, how long can someone live? It's as long right now, as, as long as, as they would normally in some situations, mm-hmm. of course, every situation is different, but I've known people who have lived between 30 and 40 years right. and those had gotten their transplants in the eighties. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, so, so think about it to step it out that many years, it's 1980, you know, 1982. And, and so now with the improvements that have been made, especially through any rejection medicine and, and, just in, in medicine in general, you know, that, that, that's who knows at yeah. this point, you know, we're, we're, it remains to be seen because people are living as long as they would have lived, you know, otherwise, mm-hmm. as far as if they're a, a child and they, they receive a heart, does the heart stay the same size? Say if they receive a heart at five years old, once they're 18 and the answer is, is that heart grows with them. So, uh, you know, it, as the, as the child grows, the heart grows appropriately for the child's uh, size and age. Wow. It's yep. fascinating stuff. Yes, yeah. It is. yeah. Great questions. 
And if you have any other questions, give us a call at 504-648-3477. In every episode of The Gifted Life, we honor a hero. Today, we honor Elliot Hardy. And this comes from his family. Elliot was a wonderful person with a terrific sense of humor and large heart. Everyone who knew him liked him, and all of his family and friends loved him immensely. Elliot enjoyed his computer, video games, watching funny movies, and most of all, riding his motorcycle. Elliot completely refinished his motorcycle and was very proud of it. Sadly, he lost his life riding that motorcycle. Though our family has lost someone precious, we have some comfort knowing that our loss has given someone a better life. We love you, Elliot. You can see more of Elliot and see his quilt square made by his family to honor Elliot at lopa.org backslash quilts. So let's take a moment, pause, and say thank you to Elliot for the gift of life. episode 184, The Gifted Life. Thank you for listening. Remember, you can always register as an organ, eye, and tissue donor anytime. Registerme.org. And thank you also to Haley Steinwell for coming on, but also for being that change agent that she is, that, that you know, she was donation advocate even before she had received her transplant, and then afterwards became a, a, a member of that committee that she spoke about for helping better all those children's lives that are there at the hospitals waiting. And that's a big you know, deal for, for a child to, to do. And then at the same time, to, to, to be able to uh, you know, have that inspiration, to know that others that are going through the same things that she ha- has gone through can maybe benefit from her writing this book and writing this to inspire those. She wants to do more and do better. Yeah. She's so passionate about it. Right. Yeah. While she was laying in bed waiting, um, she, she, you know, that's when the idea of writing the book came up. That's Pretty impressive. Yep. We love it, Haley. The best place to find us, guys, at our website, thegiftedlife.org. Listen there and find links to listen on Apple Podcast, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. It really helps others to find our podcast. On social, you can like our page on Facebook. It's the Gifted Life Podcast. You can also follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at Gifted Life Pod. Our ask is that you go out and do something you wouldn't normally do to help us make life happen. Thanks, guys. This is a production of the Louisiana Organ Procurement Agency, or LOPA. The Gifted Life is hosted by Lori Steele and Joey Boudreaux. Our executive producer is Kirsten Hines. Producer is Shalon Carraway. Intern is Rebecca Ranham. And we are recorded, engineered, and mixed in our Covington, Louisiana studio by Troy Perez. 